Science Friday is supported by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. WNYC Studios is supported by MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink, software for technical computing and model-based design. MathWorks, accelerating the pace of discovery in engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. WNYC Studios is brought to you by ZBiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with ZBiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. ZBiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink ZBiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. What did it take to put the personal in personal computing? Hello, I am Macintosh. It sure is great to get out of that bag. Forty years ago today, the Apple Macintosh was unveiled. It's Wednesday, January 24th, but my calendar app says it's Science Friday. I'm sci-fi producer Charles Bergquist. When Steve Jobs unveiled the Apple Macintosh in January of 1984, the visual user interface, all-in-one design, and mouse-controlled navigation were revolutionary. On the 30th anniversary of the Macintosh, Ira spoke with design team member Andy Hertzfeld and industry observer Stephen Levy about the early days of personal computing and how the Macintosh came to be. This conversation was recorded in 2014. 30 years ago this week, Super Bowl viewers saw an ad that would become an icon, a commercial produced by Ridley Scott. On January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. And then, 30 years ago today, the first of many showy onstage product introductions for Steve Jobs. Now, we've done a lot of talking about Macintosh recently. But today, for the first time ever... I'd like to let Macintosh speak for itself. Hello, I am Macintosh. It sure is great to get out of that bag. And just as I am to public speaking, I'd like to share with you a maxim I thought of the first time I made an IBM mainframe. Never trust a computer you can't play. Obviously, I can talk, but right now, I'd like to sit back and listen. So it is with considerable pride that I introduce a man who's been like a father to me, Steve Jobs. 
Steve Jobs promised that his new computer would be unlike any other, a computer for the rest of us. What made the Mac so different? How could it have created such a close-knit following that it divided the world into, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC? That's what we'll be talking about this hour, and I'm delighted to have two guests who were present at the creation of the Macintosh. Stephen Levy, senior writer for Wired, author of the book, Insanely Great, The Life and Times of Macintosh, The Computer That Changed Everything. Also just out, the Macintosh is 30, and I was there for it. its birth. It's on the Wired.com. Welcome back, Steve. Thank you. Also uh, with us is Andy Hertzfeld. He's a software engineer who was a, who was a member of the original Macintosh design team. He wrote the book Revolution in the Valley, the insanely great story of how the Mac was made, sharing some of his behind-the-scenes stories of the development of the Mac. Welcome, uh, Andy. Hi. Glad to be here. Both joining us for, from Stanford University. Were you guys at that first demo? Yeah, you bet. I, I, I wasn't. I, I finished my story for Rolling Stone. So I was in New York sort of uh, tracking it. Unfortunately, no one was live tweeting it. <laughs> that and was, I, was scared, yeah. I was scared to death our demo was going to crash. Were you? It, it was um, about 30 years ago exactly to this hour. It was, would have been going on Pacific time, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you were scared it was going to crash. Yeah, as it did many times in rehearsal. <laughs> So Steve was uh, was uh, sort of afraid himself, or was he extremely confident? Yeah, that he was. was li- I'm sure he was uh, quite nervous. Yeah, um, uh, uh, Steve, you write that uh, in Wired that the minute you first met the Mac, you knew it would change the lives of millions of people. How did you know? That's that? right. Tell us about that. Well, you have to put yourself in a, in a mind frame of where we were 30 years ago, and so many people. Uh, you know, use computers now, and you know, of course, they're they're not thirty years old even. Um, but back then, it, it was the very primitive times. We were like almost like cave people. Uh, the computers we used, which weren't very popular then, they they were just you know popular among uh, a, a small group of enthusiasts or hardcore IT people. And they had these green phosphorescent letters. It was very hard to control. You had to learn these incantations to make things happen. There were these things of you had to worry about like modes. Am I in the editing mode? Am I in the writing mode? And uh, there comes Macintosh. And I remember very clearly the woman who gave me the first demo that day I visited the, the Mac team in November 1983. Pulled this beautiful thing out of the box. Uh, it was a computer you could lift and turned it on. And immediately, it was like a, a published document. There was, you know, uh, dark text on the, the, the screen. It started off with a smile, and you could uh, manipulate the, the, the text uh, like, like almost like a magical printing press. And I realized this is actually a natural way to do things. It was just easy to move things around. There were none of these complicated modes. And uh, I, I said, I want one, and I think a lot of people are, mm-hmm. um, and this is the better way to do things. Andy, uh, how much of the success of Mac do you think was due to these little parts of the friendly image, the icon that smiled when you booted up, the sad Mac face when something went wrong, even the bomb, I remember, is the sure. bomb. How much was that all due to the, to the success due to that humanizing of the machine? Yeah, some of it was due to its personality and spirit. But really, the main thing was we really loved the user. We cared about the user. We wanted them to have a great experience. The Macintosh was really the first uh, 
affordable computer that really cared about ease of use, that really tried to meet the user on, on their terms rather than making the user uh, work on its terms. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Stephen Levy, how crucial was Steve, was Steve Jobs to this? Is, is they basically synonymous here. I don't know, uh, 100% synonymous there. In the Venn diagram, he, he, he covered a lot of, you know, shade, but not 100%. And, you know, when I did the story, I was writing for Rolling Stone, uh, documenting it. Uh, I, I found myself in the middle of this controversy that, 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 that it occurred about uh, the original uh, person who started uh, the Macintosh team uh, had been forced out and he was you know, unhappy about it. And I you know, got an earful from him you know, about it and you know, again, did discuss this with uh, uh, Steve Jobs. When we finally had an interview. But I think it's undeniable that Steve Jobs was the impresario. He was the person who had the last word about what we saw. He was the person who you know, drove Andy and the rest of them uh, to the finish line on, on, on this. So I think he deserves you know, the, yeah. a major, major share of credit for that. A- Andy, how were you recruited and all the other people? How did you get to this project and did you seek it out? Yeah, I I I sought it out. Um, it was the Macintosh was a tiny little research project at Apple when I started in the summer of 1979. Uh, the first thing was I met Burl Smith, the hardware designer of the Mac. I became good friends with him, started helping him with, with some demos. I was jealous that it wasn't my job to work on the Macintosh. I was uh, just helping him a little bit on the side. And then uh, in February of 1981, there was a big management shakeup at Apple where they fired my manager. Uh, And I took that opportunity to uh, ask, hey, maybe I could go work on the Macintosh with Burl and Bud. And uh, so that's how I got started. Uh, There's a story I tell in my book about when Steve finally decided. At first, when I, I met with Steve and he goes, are you any good? Are you good enough to work on the Mac? We only want really good people. And uh, so then he decided I was good enough and he came by my cubicle and he said, uh, I'm taking you to start on the start work on the Mac. And I said, well, just give me a day or two to finish up uh, the stuff I was doing for the Apple II. And he said, no. Uh, and he pulled he unplugged my computer, causing me to lose the work I was doing and just carried it away. And what could I do but follow him? And I, I, I should add that Andy is really, really good. Uh, Steve made, made a, a great choice there, and he's had a great career at the Macintosh and afterwards. Was Steve like that? Would it be the kind of guy who walk up to your desk and rip out your computer and get your attention that way? Yes. Steve, Steve was uh, the master of uh, dramatic gestures. Any others you could share with us? Oh, sure, all the time. I mean, one thing that's relevant now is he he really foretold the future, how he drummed into us, how important the work we were going to be doing. We were all excited anyway because we loved the Apple II and we saw a chance to bring uh, the the joy we found in the Apple II uh, wasn't accessible to most people because it was just too complicated to use. So uh, we thought uh, we could, you know, be doing a really good thing for the world, but it was Steve who who just hammered it into us how important it was, and that really made us work work that much harder. But there's all kinds of stories about Steve uh, doing amazing. The Bruce Orn has a story when he started on the Macintosh. Uh, he he we needed a Lisa. Uh, Macintosh's ancestor to develop software for the Mac, and he didn't have one. Uh, and so Steve told him to go get one, <laughs> to take one, steal one right off the desk of John Couch, who was running the Lisa team. 
Wow. Uh, and and so, but this was a great leap of faith on on Jobs' part and your part, that something like this is a totally different way of doing things. Not really. We didn't think of it as a leap, leap of faith. It was obvious to us once we got it going, it was so much a better way. Uh, so there, there were some risky aspects, but not not really in the in the in the core paradigm. It was mm. it was better. We knew it. We knew it from the very beginning. Uh, we still believe it now. Science Friday is supported by Random House, publisher of When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. When Breath Becomes Air is a memoir by an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to find hope and beauty in the face of his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a memoir about a doctor becoming a patient, a new father confronting mortality, and a reminder to live while we're alive. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is available at prh.com air. Science Friday is supported by NetSuite. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to NetSuite.com slash Friday. That's NetSuite.com slash Friday. Science Friday is supported by the Planetary Society, co-founded by Carl Sagan, led today by Bill Nye. The Planetary Society is a global nonprofit that exists for anyone to take a role in advancing space exploration. When you become a member, you join their mission to explore worlds, find life off Earth, and protect our planet from dangerous asteroids. Anybody can join, find your place in space, and become a member today at planetary.org science. Science Friday is supported by Zbiotics. The team of PhD scientists at Zbiotics are tackling rough mornings after drinking with their new pre-alcohol probiotic. This probiotic breaks down the byproduct of alcohol while you drink and sets you up for a great next day. Check out the cutting-edge technology for yourself at zbiotics.com Friday and use the code Friday to get 10% off your first order. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. That's zbiotics.com Friday and use the code Friday at checkout for 15% off. Mm-hmm. And Stephen, there's the mythology of, Map, of Apple that the early days it was a computer club, it was made in a garage. Well, none of that is true. No, that is true. Um, I the mean, Mac, the, the very uh, Apple came out of the homebrew computer yeah. club. Was designed the Apple II not not to make money or as a product, but to impress his friends at the homebrew club. But but by the uh, time you got to the Mac, it was a Steve. It was a it had a lot more money in the company. It was not a garage. That's company. right. It, it was a public company by then, and everyone wanted to see what Apple was going to do next. Uh, by that time, the IBM PC had been introduced, and that was very 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 popular. Um, and it was threatened to eclipse the Apple II, and in fact, it did. Uh, and it really became a question of. Was Apple's next computer going to be able to compete with the IBM PC? And when I did my Rolling Stone story 
for the launch of the Mac, it was very clearly, uh, you know, these this young team of, of, of designers uh, against the big, bad IBM. And when I interviewed Steve, he, he framed it in just that way. He said, if, if we don't stop IBM, no one is going to do that. And that's why we saw that commercial, that commercial that, yeah. you know, the evil empire was clearly supposed to be IBM. And where did the phrase, the computer for the rest of us, was that Steve's idea? Uh, you know, I'm not sure uh, who exactly thought it up. I think it was probably Steve Hayden at Try It Day, uh, but certainly Steve Public relations it. firm, yeah. Uh, no, they were the advertising, advertising firm who created the 1984 commercial as well as lots of other stuff. Did that phrase catch on immediately? Uh, I think so, but... I, I'm, I'm I, not sure. I, th I, th I think it did, and you know, and sometimes uh, it, it, you know, as, as things often do, uh, when Apple didn't live up to that, uh, it was thrown back in Apple's face. Oh, really? In what way? I've heard it called like well, the, the computer for the rich of us. Yeah, yeah, one. like that. It, was, it, 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 it cost more. It cost more than uh, the. Right. Um, I think Annie will confirm the team wanted, and it cost more than Steve wanted it to cost. The board, uh, Apple's board, decided to price it, um, you know, uh, much higher than the competition because they said, "Well, it's better. Old people will buy it." And initially, uh, we're going to sell all we can make. But it, it was a start. Right. It took Mac a long time to catch up in the marketplace. I will be right back. Our number, 844-724-8255. Talking with Stephen Levy, Andy Hertzfeld, about the 30th anniversary of the Mac. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this break. This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Flato. We're talking this hour about the creation of the Apple Macintosh. 30 years ago, announcement today. My guests are Stephen Levy of Wired, Andy Hertzfeld, a member of the original Macintosh uh, design team. Our number, 844-724-8255. Andy, some people criticize Steve and Apple for what they see as taking credit for the main new introduction, the new feature of the Mac, which was the mouse, which was developed at Xerox Palo Alto Research Center Park. Is that, well, Steve, is that being overly critical? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Steve never claimed to have invented uh, the, the mouse or the basic underlying technology. What Steve deserves enormous credit for was realizing that uh, it was the right way to do things, adopting it. Also, uh, one of the things that Apple does deserve credit for is going to the one-button mouse. Uh, the Xerox software that we originally saw had three different buttons, which always created a confusion. Well, which button should I use in this case? Uh, we simplified it down to one button, so um, there was no question about what you needed to do. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to uh, Dave in Pittsburgh. Hi, Dave. Hi, Ira. Enjoy your show and you. enjoy your guests today. Uh, back when I was a young teacher, I would go to these clubs, uh, computer clubs in People would bring Macs and Apple IIEs, and I could never afford either, uh, but I borrowed one from school. Uh, soon the buzz became, hey, there's this other system out there, the PC. My question is, how did IBM let the PC become public, and why did uh, Apple keep their uh, architecture private? Can yeah. you answer that? Good, good, good questions. Thanks, thanks for calling. Yeah. Still to this day. Well, you know, there's degrees of openness. And uh, the Macintosh sought third-party developers. It was very open to the extent that anyone in the world, if they wanted to, could write software for it. 
Uh, the reason we didn't make it open hardware-wise was we wanted the Macintosh to be simple and easy to use. And uh, it gets very, very complicated if you allow people to add additional hardware, then you get into issues of configuring the drivers. I mean, I think sometimes in, in the PC world, it's kind of a yeah. nightmare uh, just to get everything working and keep it working. There was a Whereas, brief there was a brief period, I remember building one, when you could build the Mac on, you know, third-party hardware. Uh, Apple allowed this to happen. And it uh, that's really, right. didn't in, really in go the, very far. It was awful. The day of the <laughs> yeah, the, the stuff was, you know, uh, it didn't really cost much less. Uh, and it was um, it didn't work as well as, as the Apple ones. And when Steve Jobs came back to Apple in 1997, he pulled the plug on that program and went back to his original instincts uh, that he had uh, for the Macintosh. Uh, and I think he did pretty well with that. Do you think the, the Mac and the OS 7 are going to meet somewhere in the middle, you know, your cell phone and your, your program? I think that you know it, we're a really interesting time now. Uh, you know, the Macintosh was, uh, I think, you know, uh, thrust us into this new world of you know uh, computing where it was visuals called the graphical user interface. Um, and I think actually it lasted probably longer than a lot of people thought, maybe even too long, considering how much computers improve. And I think for the last few years, we're finally seeing. Uh, uh, an evolution out of that phase uh, as, you know, we're excited about the new ways we control computers on devices like phones and tablets. And what's happening is, what Apple's doing is it's developing the Macintosh operating system by bringing in pieces of that device system, that iOS system uh, into it there. Um, Similarly, Microsoft is uh, devising its Windows system by borrowing from its phone system there. So I think we're seeing finally uh, an evolution really based on people's mobile use of computers. Mm -hmm. Andy, tell us about the time you had to demo the Macintosh to Bill Gates. Well, um, people forget forget it now, but Microsoft was a key partner of Apple in in creating the Macintosh. We were counting on them uh, to create many of the initial applications. They had they were the first developer. I remember the first time we gave them a Mac, which was after we demoed it to it. I felt kind of wistful that it was leaving our nest, our little our little baby, for the first time. Microsoft got the very first one. But anyway, um, I we we I was actually we. It turns out you needed at the time, which was July 1981, you needed a Lisa just to load programs for the Macintosh. Uh, but the Lisa group did not allow Bill Gates, did not want Bill Gates to see the Lisa. The Lisa was still an unannounced product. And uh, Apple for the Lisa was taking a different strategy of writing all the applications themselves. So we had a 20 foot long 25-foot-long cable going from an office with a closed door with the Lisa to the Mac. And I was running back and forth, hitting keys on the Lisa to download the software and then back to the Mac and show it. Uh, But when we were demoing the Mac, Bill asked a question about how the cursor worked. Uh, And actually, Bill Gates, uh, in my observation, didn't, didn't like to be told things. He wanted to figure it out and get us to confirm it. And so he, he asked, what kind of hardware do, do we have to drive the cursor? Because he assumed uh, that the hardware was doing the work, but really it was the software. And so I was about to tell him that where Steve, Steve didn't like me telling that. So he just yelled out, shut up, at the top of his voice to drown me out. And Bill knew something was going on there, but but not 
quite what. You know, that's true. That people do forget that uh, Microsoft supplied the the first really useful tool, writing tools and calculus tools, and uh, the Office sort of suite to the Mac. That's right. To this day, if you t- talk to Bill Gates, he will not let you forget it. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> he he says, you know, repeatedly says, we had more people working on Macintosh software than Apple did. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, well, we wanted to keep our software team as small as we could because we cared so much about the quality. Uh, and so, you know, we had about 10 people. I don't know how many how mm-hmm. many he had. But, of course, Apple had more people working on the total Macintosh because software was only part of it. Who was responsible for the whole look and feel of the screen, those, you know, the faces and bombs and all that kind of stuff? It was it was a team effort, but yeah. Susan Kerr was was the artist. She was my friend from high school. I knew we were developing a, a graphical computer, and uh, so we needed uh, some graphical talent. Susan has a tremendous sense of humor. She's incredibly bright. Uh, so uh, she, you know, she was a perfect perfect match for us. She started in 1983 and designed all the icons and fonts for the Macintosh. But what I would say is, is the overall look and feel was a consensus of the team. Steve Jobs played a huge part at being the ultimate decision maker. He was the one who tell us it was good enough or or not. Uh, off more often, it wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Bill Atkinson, uh, you got to mention him. He was really the key uh, visionary and designer of the basic user interface, mainly for Lisa. He was on the Lisa team. Uh, but we took almost everything Bill did uh, for the Macintosh. And Andy had a, a, a big role in that, too. One of the you know, delights that I had the first day I met the Macintosh was meeting uh, Andy and, and, and Bill there. And I you know, was later to learn you know, about their uh, tremendous impact uh, they had on it. Andy's one of Andy's is one of those rare uh, engineers that you know fits that Steve Jobs model of liberal arts meeting engineering. There, you know, uh, mm-hmm. he, he he gets both sides. Science Friday is supported by Random House, publisher of When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. When Breath Becomes Air is a memoir by an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to find hope and beauty in the face of his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a memoir about a doctor becoming a patient, a new father confronting mortality, and a reminder to live while we're alive. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is available at prh.com slash air. Science Friday is supported by NetSuite. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing— Everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Friday. That's netsuite.com slash Friday. Science Friday is supported by the Planetary Society, co-founded by Carl Sagan, led today by Bill Nye. The Planetary Society is a global nonprofit that exists for anyone to take a role in advancing space exploration. 
When you become a member, you join their mission to explore worlds, find life off Earth, and protect our planet from dangerous asteroids. Anybody can join, find your place in space, and become a member today at planetary.org science. Science Friday is supported by Zbiotics. The team of PhD scientists at Zbiotics are tackling rough mornings after drinking with their new pre-alcohol probiotic. This probiotic breaks down the byproduct of alcohol while you drink and sets you up for a great next day. Check out the cutting-edge technology for yourself at zbiotics.com Friday and use the code Friday to get 10% off your first order. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. That's zbiotics.com Friday and use the code Friday at checkout for 15% off. Sounded like you, you know that that your network of close friends was was open for the for the taking for, for job wise. You know, people, small company. Sure, sure, uh, but they had to be good enough, and not, yeah. no one could could work on it because they were your friend. But if if they had the right talent uh, and could help us, sure. Uh, Steve, does does Apple still have the Macintoshness, the Appleness from those early days? Do you think? Well, that, 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 that's a great question. I think it's look, it's a much bigger company now, but I think they really do try to cultivate that uh, specialness there uh, in, in in what they do. Um, you know, that's 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 really what distinguishes them from other companies there. Um, you know, it, for a long time, it, it's kind of funny. Apple sort of tried to distance itself from its most rabid fans. Uh, they, 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 they thought, well, we're a serious company, and you know, mm-hmm. and you know, we don't, we're not going to cater so much to these people. And Apple, you know, uh, they didn't they didn't really develop the game market and uh, for Macintoshes and other things there. And I think that um, though Apple now uh, reaches a much bigger audience there i i sense that you know they they do try to make the most of the intense interest of them and you see leading up to every introduction there's this elaborate dance between the rumors places and 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 apple there which i think benefits both sides does apple does does the mac still have an advantage with this new interface it had brought on like it did years ago certainly that is not something that's exclusive to, to the mac anymore well windows you know uh was you know, I think emulated a lot of of, of what happened uh, in the Macintosh. Um, you know, from Bill Gates' point of view, he said they were both uh, borrowing from Xerox. Uh, so what's the difference? But uh, I don't think you know you would have seen Windows develop the way it was if it wasn't for uh, the Macintosh there. Um, but I think you know Apple tries in, in its way to get things you know just right and, and present that delight to to what it does. And Apple re- retains uh, the original advantage of making both the hardware and software in concert. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microsoft's model was successful in a business sense, but not as successful in a product sense, because it was much harder to, to innovate uh, when you had when different you had to coordinate many different companies and uh, achieve consensus with them, whereas Apple is still in control of, of the whole thing, the hardware, the software, the marketing, and can make an integrated, beautiful experience. Um, it seems to me that uh, the the iPhone and the iPad incredibly successful today, but they're they're the culmination of the Macintosh. They they are on that same line. That really didn't even start with the Macintosh. In my mind, it started with the Apple II, and that certain 
amazing spirit uh, of the Apple II. And I see that in the iPad, and I expect to see it in future Apple products years from now. Well, why didn't Steve Jobs just continue with the Apple II line? What was the impetus to say, I've got to try something totally different, something in... Uh, The technology. The Apple II had uh, an 8-bit microprocessor that could only address 64K bits of RAM. It was bound to be obsolete in just a few years because of the unrelenting progress in the underlying silicon. That's what's really so exciting about uh, the technology industry is everything needs to be reinvented every decade or so. Mm-hmm. And that, and was that the insane, you both in both of your books, you use the phrase insanely great. Is that what, what was the insanely great part, if you could sum that up? Well, that, that phrase was Steve's phrase, yeah. uh, but the insanely great part was here was a computer uh, that with very little preparation or effort you can figure out to use, just just sitting down in front of it with no instruction. Mm-hmm. I think also it says something about uh, you know Steve Jobs and the demands he made uh, on his team there. Uh, he said to me, he, you know, uh, he said, well, you know, other people, they, they do things, they try to be great, but we have to be insanely great. Uh, it, it shows that you know, the standard he set was a standard that you know, maybe even you know, some people on the team thought they couldn't even reach. But uh, mm-hmm. that's what he demanded. So they worked up to it. What's also interesting about the, the Mac, the, even the original Mac, is that it was made to be networked. It was made to be hooked up on a network where the original PC was supposed to sit there in your laptop, right on your desktop. And whose decision, what, what kind of design, design decision was that? Was that purposely put there to make it a business environment, to, to say the Mac? No, not, not, what, what not was a, it for? Uh, well, that was really Burl Smith, the hardware designer uh, for the Macintosh. We discovered this uh, serial uh, communications chip that gave us the serial ports that we needed to talk to printers and modems. Uh, but the cool thing about that chip is you could also do uh, a local area network with it. And so we incorporated that chip. Uh, it took us uh, another year or two to develop the networking software. But a guy named uh, Sidhu uh, had a great team in, in 1984 and 1985 and developed AppleTalk, uh, the first zero configuration local area network. And it took off from there. Mm-hmm. I'm Ira Plato, and this is Science Friday from PRI, Public Radio International. Talking with uh, S- Steve Levy and Andy Hertzfeld. Steve is the author of the book, Insanely Great, The Life and Times of Macintosh, the computer that changed everything. You're coming out with a new edition, Steve, I understand? Yeah, today uh, I decided to uh, append the transcript of the interview I did with Steve Jobs when I was doing uh, that Rolling Stone story on the eve of the launch. It's about 11,000 words. Uh, and it really uh, is a fascinating you know, look into the way he was then in some respects um, he had a very consistent design philosophy, which he kept, you know, uh, really for the rest of his life. In other senses, he was still learning how to deal with the public there. And, you know, in some senses, it's role. He talks about his personal life in a way that I think he uh, would have been more circumspect about later in life. Mm. They had an interesting dinner with him back. Yeah, it, it, it was it was fascinating. He, you know, he told me if the Macintosh didn't work out, maybe he would go to Italy and race motorcycles or something. <laughs> 
And how uh, how can we get a copy of? Uh, is that just a part of your new book that's going to be issued? That yeah, just today. today? Uh, you know, it, you know, um, I'm I'm still figuring out how to how to, how to get all these places to update it. Uh, you know, uh, so it, it's today. It's a, it's available in the Kindle edition, uh, and it'll be available in the other e versions soon. And whenever um, you know Penguin, you know, uh, gets to <laughs> implement it, then uh, you'll see it in uh, Dead Trees. Uh, Andy is uh, Revolution in the Valley, the insanely great story of how the Mac was made. Is that still in print? Available? Yeah, yeah. There's a paperback that came out in 2011 that's still in print, and of course on on the Kindle or the iTunes bookstore. Is there is there one myth about the Mac that we have a couple of minutes left that Steve that people think that you, that you 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 go around dispelling all the time, or is that the biggest? Well, I myth? think I think people don't understand that the Mac was almost a failure. Uh, you know, in part because of the price, in part because uh, the team was so ambitious that they outran really the capabilities of the hardware in, initially. You know, like there was a period, and I was an early Macintosh user, um, where you had to do a lot of disk swapping to do you know very simple things, and you know there was a, there was a lot of waiting, and uh, you know you had to pay a price for being a, a pioneer there. And also the the IBM, the alternative was, was so much less expensive that uh, a lot of people didn't take advantage of the of the Mac. So um, it really went by the skin of its teeth to get through that period mm-hmm. uh, where Apple could make more powerful versions that that that, that caught on. But even so, it, it was for it wasn't a market leader really. Andy, anything comes to mind? Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure about a myth, but the the Macintosh the Macintosh that we're celebrating today isn't really the same computer than than the one we, we created. It's had two different uh, processor family switches, which are very, very difficult to pull off in a software base, switching to the PowerPC CPU and then the uh, Intel CPU. Right. And a big operating system change when it's really the, the, the Macintosh you buy today isn't the system that I helped create. It we, it was, although that's still part of it, and it's certainly in the well, DNA. What are they selling so on, it, what are they selling for these days? If you want to pick up an original Mac. Uh, an original Mac? You know, uh, I don't know. I haven't looked. I, I would guess uh, pretty cheap. Yeah. Because, just because there were a lot yeah. of them in the world. Yeah, I know that, that if you really want a collector's item, what you want is the one with the original limited memory, 128K memory. Uh, about six months later, they offered an upgrade, which, you know, people like yeah. me just gobbled All right. up because, you know. We're going to go look for them today the online. Stephen Levy, Andy Hertzfeld, <laughs> yeah. thanks for joining us today. And that's it for today. That was Apple design team member Andy Hertzfeld and industry observer Stephen Levy in a conversation from 2014. Next time, a look at how modern AI is helping researchers recreate a land bridge digitally and search for archaeological artifacts. I'm sci-fi producer Charles Bergquist. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. WNYC Studios is supported by the Natural Resources Defense Council. Using science, the law, and people power, NRDC is committed to confronting the climate crisis, protecting public health, and safeguarding nature. They address the impact of fossil fuels on communities and our environment. They help protect wildlife, public lands, and irreplaceable ecosystems that all living things depend on. They work to enact policies for clean air, clean water, and access to nature for all. You can help NRDC safeguard the earth for future generations. Visit nrdc.org WNYC for more information. Science Friday is supported by Random House, publisher of When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. 
When Breath Becomes Air, is a memoir by an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to find hope and beauty in the face of his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a memoir about a doctor becoming a patient, a new father confronting mortality, and a reminder to live while we're alive. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is available at prh.com slash air.